Live by every word. That is the challenge and the opportunity the Bible gives to you. This program examines the actual words that have proceeded out of the mouth of God Himself so we can use them to guide our paths and live by them in our everyday lives. This is Live by Every Word. Thanks for joining me today here on Live by Every Word. I'm Dwight Falk. This is Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm. And we have a live link at thetrumpet.com. All of our podcasts are available at these locations or wherever you like to get your podcasts. When we come up to the springtime of the year, we begin to think about the spring holy days that God's commanded. Of course, God's holy day plan shows uh, his plan for mankind and our purpose, his plan of salvation and how he's achieving that. And so it is vital, vital that we have understanding of God's holy days. And we look at Christ's life, and we look at what he went through, especially leading up to the Passover and then that sacrifice that he made. And we consider what he did and what we can learn from him and from God the Father and that example. And, of course, it teaches us a lot about ourselves, too, and what we need to be growing in. And what a perfect sacrifice Christ was for us. And I want to look at a few events today that happened just before the time period of his crucifixion and what we can learn from that, what we can learn about uh, really also Satan's broadcasting and how much he influences people. And it's something we have to consider as we fight against Satan and his broadcast and we strive to obey God. About six days before Jesus' death, he knew it was time to present himself in Jerusalem. Uh, not only to be crucified, but also to prepare for his last Passover. There were several things that he had to do, and uh, he had to teach his disciples some some things as well. Christ knew the rulers had now determined his death. They um, wanted to get rid of him, and uh, they had this hatred, this hatred that Satan was broadcasting. And they really hated him, they wanted him dead, and uh, he knew his time was coming when that was going to occur. And so Christ enters into Jerusalem. He has this triumphant entry, and it occurred um, on April 19th, 31 A.D., as far as uh, has been taught by God's church over the years. And we're going to look at a few passages today that talk about the situation there and some things that led up to it. And we'll begin in Luke 19. And if you have a Bible handy, you could get it out. We could look at these things together. Luke 19 and verse 29 He's on his way to Jerusalem here, and it says, And it came to pass, when he was come near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. So this is a, a setting here uh, on the road to Jerusalem. There's two towns at the base of the Mount of Olives. And verse 30, he said, Go you into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him here. So this was going to be how Jesus would enter Jerusalem. And if you look at Mark and Luke, they mention this colt, which Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. But Matthew 21 and verse 2 says two animals were actually brought to Jesus. This unbroken colt, needed to be accompanied by a uh, tame ass to keep the colt calm and quiet. 
So if you look at those passages, you might say, well, why is there two mentioned and then just one, and this is the reason? And so why did Christ come in this way? Why would, why would Jesus Christ come into Jerusalem this way? Well, in Judea, people seldom employed horses in a common life and ordinary journeys. Horses were viewed more as an emblem of war. But here, this was a more humble and lowly animal, such as a mule or an ass. It was an emblem of peace. It was an emblem of peace. Kings and princes commonly rode on asses in time of peace, and it's actually mentioned as a mark of rank and dignity to ride in that manner. Solomon, if you remember, he was inaugurated as king. He rode on a mule. And so riding this way was most fitting for the king of kings to enter his capital, Jerusalem. So Christ was coming in, and he was humble. He was humble, but uh, also he's a king, although he would not begin to rule on the earth at that time. Luke 19 and verse 31, it says, And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord has need of him. And so that happened. They went and found the the animals, and the, the people said, why are you taking them? And they explained it and so forth. You can read about those details. And so this is how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. In verse 36, And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come near, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Quite a picture here, a lot of rejoicing, a lot of celebration as Christ, Jesus Christ, entered Jerusalem. Verse 38, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now it was prophesied in the Old Testament that this would happen. You can read about that in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. It was prophesied, and this was a fulfillment of that. Christ came in, just like it was prophesied, into Jerusalem. He came in in a regal and a grand display. And it was a final notice to the inhabitants of the capital city of Judea. Matthew, Mark, and John state that upon Jesus' entry into the city, many cried out, Hallelujah and Hosanna. In Hebrew, that means, O save! or save we pray. So there were these exclamations of adoration and praise. And, you know, people at that time, a lot of them probably thought that Jesus was going to take over. He was going to rule. And he wasn't doing that yet, although he will at his second coming. So there was a lot of people really rejoicing and excited to see Jesus come into Jerusalem. Now, of course, There were those that were not happy with it either. Uh, Those uh, Pharisees that hated Jesus Christ, they were jealous. They were very upset with him, and we'll see more about that as we go. So these people were excited, many of them, to see Jesus Christ come into Jerusalem there. Matthew, Mark, and John record that some spread down palm branches also in front of him. And that practice is actually where the pagans got the idea of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Now, that's something you, maybe you've heard of, and, but again, it's, it's not biblical in the sense of something that we should do. First of all, this didn't occur on a Sunday. And um, also, it's not something that God commands us to do. It's uh, something that has been corrupted, and people 
take it and they just accept that, well, maybe they should do that or they hear it and they kind of point back to some of this history. But again, it's not a holy day. It's not something that God has told us to do. So there's misconceptions about uh, what was happening here, even the way people think about it today. And so uh, we have a lot more information about the holy days that God commands us to keep. In our booklet, The uh, Pagan Holidays Are God's Holy Days, which, and that's free at thetrumpet.com. So, but some people did put palms down as he came through with these branches. So the people were jubilant. They were expecting him. They were excited to see him in many cases. And they'd seen his miracles. And they knew he was a teacher. They knew he was uh, a very humble man. They loved him. They respected him. They were curious about him. Um, but there were some that hated him. Some that hated him. Why would they hate him? Notice Luke 19 and verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> Tell them to stop this. Tell them to stop with all this excitement and praising you. Verse 40, And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, this was a good thing that they were doing. Praising Jesus Christ as he came in. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now he didn't take over the rulership of the world at that point, but he will at his second coming. But again, you see these two different mindsets. You see people that were really praising Christ, even if they didn't understand everything about what he was doing. They had a certain excitement to see him. At least they had a good attitude about it in many ways. But then you have the Pharisees there, and they don't like this. They want him to uh, tell his disciples to be quiet. And, they, and more than that, they hated him. And they wanted him dead. And they were planning to kill him. And they were going to kill him just a few days after this. Why that attitude? Why that thinking? Well, the, the Pharisees, they hated the procession. They hated it. They were so jealous of Jesus Christ. They hated him. And they had seen the miracles that he did and the way that people responded to them and responded to his teachings. And, of course, Christ had corrected them, the Pharisees, for their hypocrisy many times. They loved having the, the chief seats. <laughs> they loved being esteemed of men. That's what they loved. That's what they looked forward to. They craved it. They were jealous, and they were full of hatred. And so they, they despised Jesus Christ, and they despised this event where he comes triumphantly into Jerusalem. They were jealous, and they hated him. Where does that thinking come from? Well, we know that it, it comes from Satan the devil. They hated him so much that they would have killed him on the spot had there not been so many people there that were supporting him. But notice... Something Christ said earlier in John 8 and verse 44. This is really something that human beings have to be very aware of. Uh, a very big warning here from Christ, and he was correcting the Pharisees at the time and calling them out for their thinking. John 8 and verse 44, Christ said, You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do, or you will to do them. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, 
He speaks his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. These Pharisees were following the will of their father, the devil. They claimed to be very righteous people. And uh, when it came to certain technicalities of the law, they were pretty specific about it. And maybe they themselves were precise in some things. But they were full of hate to the point of wanting to murder Jesus Christ. They were liars. And Christ points it right back to where it begins. He says, look, it's from Satan the devil. Satan's the, Satan the devil, attitudes of hatred towards God, towards God's law, that comes from Satan. He broadcasts those attitudes and those impulses. Even with Jesus Christ right in their midst, Satan's broadcasting was so powerful and it so much um, captured their minds, captured their minds to such an extent that they were driven really mad by it in a sense. They were full of hatred to the point that they were going to kill Christ. That same devil lives today. He's alive today, full of hatred, full of anger, full of hatred towards God's law, towards Jesus Christ, towards his work. We see that all of the time. And then if you just look at the world and the bigger picture of the world, hatred between people. See, Christ himself, he faced that that hatred to the point where he was killed because of jealousy, because of the, the anger, the hatred that comes from Satan and his broadcasting it comes from his broadcasting. And so we have to be very careful about that, very careful about that. And Christ makes a very important point here in uh, Mark 11. This is in that same time period when he was going into Jerusalem, but something else happened that he made an interesting point about that we have to really think about too. Mark 11 and verse 12, it says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Now, uh, as is pointed out in, in different writings, like Josephus, for example, it was common to find ripe figs every month in the year except for January and February. So there very likely would have been figs on this tree, but this tree didn't produce any figs. It didn't produce any fruit. It didn't fulfill its intended purpose. It wasn't uh, fruitful. Verse 14, Jesus said unto it, No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And so when we think about some of the other things that Christ taught during his three-and-a-half-year ministry, he was, again, using this example to teach his disciples and us today that outward appearances can be very deceptive. They can be very deceptive. Those Pharisees that hated Christ and that wanted to kill him, you know, on the out, outward appearance, they did a pretty good job. He warned them earlier about that. You know, they cleaned the outside of the cup, but the inside was, was full of all kinds of evil. And this tree was a similar situation. Well, it looked good from a distance. It looked like it was healthy. It looked like things were fine. But the fruits showed that it wasn't. Matter of fact, it didn't have any fruits. It didn't have any good fruits. It didn't do anything. And so the tree didn't fulfill its purpose. Well, our purpose is that we have to produce godly fruit. Godly fruit, but there's Satan there broadcasting lies, murder, murder 
You know, he's a, he's a liar, the father of liars. He's a murderer. The Pharisees were just full of that thinking. But at uh, you know, at a at a distance, they sure looked good. They sure looked good. So there's so I mean, there's so many lessons we learn from Christ's ministry and his teaching, and the experiences that he went through. And we could talk about this for a long time. There's so much to learn from all of these examples. But just thinking about this tree and how we do have to be producing fruits. The outward appearance can be very deceptive. The Pharisees had a good outward appearance, but they hated Christ. They were tuned in to Satan's broadcasting. And while they claimed to be righteous and really tried to put on an appearance of righteousness, their attitude, their thinking, and then ultimately their fruits were straight from Satan the devil. They were so full of anger and hatred towards God and his law that they killed Jesus Christ. They were tuned into Satan. They didn't have righteous fruits. And so there's a lot to learn from that. We do have to think about the fruits that we produce. We have to think about the fact that Satan is still alive and he's broadcasting. And he's broadcasting hatred against God's law. And if people are susceptible to that and they don't fight against it and they don't resist it, where does it end up? Well, in this case, which again is extreme, but still, it ended up in the murder of Jesus Christ. They just, they hated him. <laughs> they hated him. And notice one last passage here, just to show their attitude, the Pharisees' attitude. Even though they look good at the distance, here's really what was going on. Mark 11 and verse 17 it says, and he taught, he was in the temple at this period, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves? So this is the second time that he had to cleanse the temple. Verse 18, And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. They didn't want to lose their positions and their jobs. They didn't take correction. They wanted to destroy Christ, how do we destroy him? That's Satan's thinking. That was Satan's broadcasting. And that's that's the way people think when Satan broadcasts into their minds. They wanted to destroy Christ. They wanted to destroy him. And we have to be very careful to not underestimate Satan and his broadcasting, but really make sure that we look at the fruit of our lives and look very closely and see what's being produced. And then if it's not from God, really really make sure we're making some changes so that we can be producing that fruit. There's a lot more about uh, Christ and what he went through, and you can read about that in uh, the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. It goes through the teachings, especially going through the Holy Day issues and showing why Christ went through these things, what it means for us. And we looked at a few lessons today, but there's a lot to learn. And you can find that at the uh, trumpet.com, especially in the uh, Bible Correspondence Course, which is free, and at the trumpet.com. That's all the time we have for today on this edition of Live by Every Word. Thank you for spending some of your time with me today. I'm Dwight Falk. Until next time, let's all strive to more perfectly live by every word of God.
You've been listening to Live by Every Word on Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.